0: talking about it's kind of built on uh, on the foundation of a couple other things. So if you missed them, you can find them online. I'd encourage you to listen to them. Some of the stuff we're talking about tonight is actually based on a series by Andy Stanley called Future Family. Uh, and so if some of the stuff you hear tonight, you're like, oh, I want to hear what the other parts are, you can check that series out as well. But we're in part three of our series on relationships, and the reason we're talking about relationships is we all have them. We have relationships with all kinds of people, different ages, different relationship to us, but we have so many of them, and, and uh, you know, they're not all easy to navigate. You know, there's marriage, there's family, there's sibling, there's parents, there's bosses, there's employees, there's in-laws, there's outlaws, there's church. You try and got to balance all of that and try and make sure that, that, you know, you have enough time for and and, uh, communicating on the right levels with each of those. And sometimes we get it wrong. Anybody else get it wrong sometimes? Yeah, so we're in the right spot. So tonight we want to talk about it because some of the relationships bring great joy into your life, you know? I was like Googling perfect family photos and this came up and I was like, it is perfect, isn't it? It's like, leave it to beaver land, you know, where mom's got like, oh, I don't even know what that is. Roast beef or something like ready and the kids are all smiling and their hair is perfect. And dad looks like, he doesn't look like he's had any stress at work. He's still in his suit and, you know, just so happy, right? Some of those relationships bring incredible joy and, and then some relationships bring incredible pain into your life, so you'll know it when you see it. It's sort of in the bottom corner of the couch. (laughs) If you missed him, he's right under that guy. Oh, yeah, okay. Some relationships, some family members you are like, we don't even want them in our family photo. We'll just hide them in there somewhere, because they bring incredible pain into our lives, and we talked about this. Why risk it? Why have a relationship if it's going to be 50-50, you know, for, for pain? But we can't help it. We're designed to have them and we keep seeking them. And so we all have relationships that bring joy. We all have relationships that bring pain. And we all probably have relationships we think could be a little bit better. So last week we talked about the one thing in you and the one thing in me that just pushes back against actually doing anything to fix our relationships, um, to actually do anything to make them, make them better. And we talked about... The dark side of pride. This thing in us is like, I'm not going to apologize. They're the ones who were more wrong than me. I'm not going to be the one to initiate. I'm definitely not going to be the one to lose. I'm not going to take the medicine that I need. I'm not going to. And so tonight, that, that same thing will rise up on you and you'll, you'll say, you know what, Mark? That stuff you talked about tonight? I'm not doing it, but I'm glad my husband was here because I sure hope he will. You know, it's going to be that. You're going to have those thoughts, and some of you are glad your husband's here. It'll be the excuses in your head that say, you know, why should I? Or, yeah, but. So if you hear that in your head, just know that's pride. That's that. it's, it's, it's working in us. So um, the Bible talks a lot about relationships, and James wrote that we need to be doers of the word and not just hearers of it only. Not just reading it, but being a doer of it. And I, you know I, I've heard this past week. Some of you who have been doing some incredible things in your relationships. Some of you have had some really difficult conversations that needed to happen. And Because of last week, you're like, I'm going to have that conversation. I'm so proud of you. Because you're taking steps. And some of them weren't easy. It was like Buckley's cough syrup last week. You know, we talked about it. It's just terrible. But it works. And for some of you who went through some of those things and did some of of those terribly uncomfortable things. I'm so proud to hear that you're doing what it says. Because it says, the Bible says in that, and James, he says, God is going to bless you for doing it. So I want to encourage you with that. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what Paul wrote to the early followers of Jesus. And he said, hey, here's kind of... Here's kind of what family is supposed to look like. Remember, we looked at the kind of the summary of it. It was like this. Husbands, here's what you got to do. Just love your wives. And, you know, then we said, wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't discourage your children. You guys do that, and everything's going to be fine. And we're, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and we're like, that's like the ideal family. That's like the ideal relationship, and it, it, um, it kind of paints that picture. Um, and it, we thought, you know, that's something maybe my, you know, my grandparents would say. You know, my grandparents... They would be like, yeah, that's the way to do it. Or, or maybe their grandparents would say, hey, that's the way, that's the way to do it. Um, for some of you, you think, you know what? That sounds more like something Barney sings to my kids, you know? So it's like that idea of, hey, everything's good. So I just want you to look at your family members tonight and we're going to sing together, right? I love you. You love me. We're a happy family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? And some of you, I can just see on your faces, you're cringing. You just like, you hate that song. You like, yeah, yeah, it's. It's it's like yeah you just it's one of those things that every time we heard it you know you look this up online you'll find so many parodies about killing the purple dinosaur and everything else right it's like I hate you is way more popular than this I love you song and why is it it's not annoying because it's a purple dinosaur but even that why did they pick a dinosaur it's like this idea that this is some ancient idea you know we got to get a dinosaur to sing it to people it, it's so foreign but the actual real reason it's so annoying to so many people is that it just doesn't seem like that's real for so many people. We're a big, happy family. Most of our lives and most of our family relationships, most people find themselves strained in their their family relationships. It's the ones that hurt the most because they're the closest. And so we read about this thing and we read about, you know, this ideal, but then we read about, you know, we think about real. You know, maybe for you, real is like, you know, your marriage is in trouble. You know, you and your wife, you and your husband, you are not on the same page and haven't been for a long time. You know, you're sticking together because you have some kids. Maybe you're past that. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe real for you is like you're already on your second marriage, and it's not working out the way you thought. Maybe maybe real for you is you have kids that, you know, are just making your life miserable with the decisions they're making. And maybe you're real is that you have parents that are making decisions that are making your life miserable. And like, yeah, that's nice you put up this ideal of, hey, you know, husbands, wives, fathers, and kids do this, but... This um, thought is, that's just not real for us. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about there's this tension between that. You know, we see, hey, this is what the Bible says, and Barney, and and then this is what my real life looks like. And it's like, well, what do we do with that? And we hate tension. We do. It's like, anytime there's like awkwardness, somebody's got to say something. You know, it's that awkward silence that always gets filled with the wrong thing. You know, it's usually like, I remember having that in Bible school. This one time I had this crush on this girl who sat in the front row. And we were in school for like three months. And I sat two rows behind her. I don't know why these stories keep coming up. Um, uh, it's not in my notes, but I'm in too far now. Um, but this girl sat in the, she sat in this, um, this seat a couple rows in front of me. And, and uh, I, I never talked to anybody. And all of a sudden this one day. Um she uh, this one day she comes up and talks to me and it's because I had Jolly Ranchers and everybody knew that I gave Jolly Ranchers away all the time. So she came up and she talked to me and we're like we're like talking for like two sentences. Hi, I'm so and so high. Yeah. And then it was like this pause and I'm just like I can't I don't even know what to say. My tongue's like turned over and it's and it's like, come on, Mark, say something, say something, you know? And like and so I look at her and I'm like, so uh she, go to Bible school here? And I'm like, oh, you know, of course she does. She's been going here for three months, and she knows, I know, I sit two rows behind her. And, like, and she's like, all right, then I'm leaving. And I never talked for the rest of the year, right? And it's like, this thing, but, but what is that? This awkward silence, we just got to fill it with something. And you know what happens? We start talking about families that are dysfunctional. Somebody comes up and is talking about their parents getting divorced at school, and you're, you know, you feel like, oh, it's awkward, but you feel like you got to fill that, and you, you begin to fill it with things like, it's okay, you know, we start saying, hey, things like everybody's got a dysfunction in their family. And you know what? It's, it's, it's kind of normal. It's like the new normal that, you know, things are, are falling apart and, and husbands and wives not getting along. And it, it, this whole idea, it's, it's the new normal. And so we start thinking about that and think, ah, oh, this new normal of what we experience. Man, what if we just kind of said, oh, hey, you know, it's okay. It's all going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's Everything's fine we kind of get away from those verses that we saw up there about this ideal because that ideal keeps bringing the tension back and we don't like it. But if we think about it, we think about our future relationships because that's what this whole series is about, our future relationships. We don't really want we don't really want the new normal for our family. We don't want the new normal for our kids. We don't want that to be the normal that they experience. We really want the ideal. We want that part of it. And so I want to encourage and challenge you not to lose sight of what's ideal, even if you're not experiencing it. That was the thought we talked about a couple weeks ago, that even if you can't, even if you've gone, you look at that list, it's like, it's not possible for me to keep any of that stuff anymore, to not lose sight of the fact that that's still the ideal, but that God has incredible grace for those who couldn't live up to it or haven't and didn't. And Jesus set the standard so high that none of us could. None of us could live up to this. But he said, you know what? I'm not going to condemn. And he sat around that hillside. He said, I'm not condemning anybody here who couldn't keep it then. And he's not condemning anybody now. And so we have this summary. We have this idea. Here's what it is. You know, husbands love your wives. This is the ideal family. And you think, you look at it, it's like, man, that's utopian. That's impossible. Maybe the Vanderweers can do this, but definitely not us. And I just want to encourage you that I look at this list, and I look at it and I'm like, you know, fail, fail, fail. Fail. There's moments in there where I'm like, I just have not passed it. I won't talk about the second one because that's not mine. Um, but you know, this, this idea of not being able to handle it. And so t- tonight what happens is when we look at that and we see fail, we it c- creates this distance in our relationships. So I don't know if you can see this, but there's there's me, there's me, and there's there's them. Me is me is me, me is you, me is me. And then there's the them in our lives. And the them could be your husband, could be your wife, could be your kids, could be your teacher, could be your boss, could be your employee, could be your parent. It's the them. It's this person on, on, on this side. And there's this gap between us. And it's not always an angry gap. You know, most of us, when we start thinking about relationships. We think they got to be fixed because these two people are angry at each other. They don't want to face each other. They're not going to, you know, there's, there's tension and anger. But you know what the reality is? That a lot of us, there's not, a, there's not actually any anger. There's not any actual, you know, things where things are so terrible that people aren't talking to each other. They're just cruising in their lives, and, but they're just not doing it together. Husbands and wives fit these two spots so often, and what happens is they're not angry at each other, but they drift. They begin to drift, and the distance gets further and further apart. And so we look at the idea, and we look at husbands, love your wives, and you're thinking, you don't know my wife. You know, it's like, wives, submit to your husbands, and you're like, if you only knew him, you would not, you would never ask me to do that. You know, the kids, right? It's like obey your parents. You're like, my parents are stupid, right? They just don't get anything. And they and you think, why why would I ever obey their rules? Like, seriously? Don't date so-and-so, be home by 10 o'clock. Oh, like it's the. What are we? The 2015s? How do you even say it? I don't know. Anyways, fathers, you know, this idea of don't exasperate your kids. And we're like, our kids drive me nuts, you know? Like, you should be telling them this. And so we talk about that, and this drift happens. But the idea is, how do we close this gap? How can we close this gap? How can our relationships, our real relationships become more like the ideal? And so we're going to tackle the, uh, the 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 we're going to tackle one of those things tonight. So I just want to ask you a question, you know, just for fun. We'll we'll tackle probably the most difficult one. So which one of these on the list is probably the most controversial, the most politically incorrect, the one that no one Oh, well he told you. All right. So the one that that none of, you know, nobody likes, especially women, is is that one. Wives submit to your husbands. I actually told some people I was speaking on that tonight, and they're like, we're not coming. So, uh, <laughs> um, But it's this idea, nobody, nobody likes that one. And Paul, he wrote to the early um, church in, uh, of the Colossians, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he wrote to them about 30 years after Jesus died, 30 years after Jesus' teaching, and he wrote a letter to the Ephesians as well. So last week, we looked at the Colossian version. Tonight, we're going to look at what he said to the Ephesians. And he wrote to the Ephesians, and he wrote this verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands." Um, as unto the Lord. So, do you, do you have that verse? Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord uh, is, is, the, is what he wrote to the Ephesian church. And he said, This is, um, this is, what, it, this is what it says. All right, so it's in there, trust me. Um, and this is one of those verses that makes people think the Bible is no longer relevant. In our, in our day and age, People look at this and go, that is just so backwards. That is something that is like, you know, we've been fighting for years for women to have rights. And it's mostly been the women fighting for that. Do you realize that women here, less than 100 years ago, you would not be allowed to vote? Less than 100 years ago, you you did not have the right to vote for who would govern our country. It's been less than 80 years since you've had the chance to actually run for, for office and be a part of um, being a part of anybody that had the chance to actually make the change. In the 50s and 60s, it was women fighting for equality at work and fighting to be treated as equals. That's only 50 years ago. 50, 60 years ago. It's crazy. And so then you think, man, we've been fighting, and we have felt like we've come so far, and, and there's been some who have different feelings on the movement, but then there's this Bible verse that comes out and says... Ugh, go backwards. Women submit. And, and you hear it taken out of context all the time. You know, I, I, even today, I heard it when I was talking with somebody. They take it, take it out of context. But let's take a look at the words of this verse for a second. Because for num- number one, it was written to wives, not husbands. So it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's saying, that's just to the wives. So, husbands, I know this probably is like one of those verses you would love to use. It's not yours to use. And it says, Submit to your own husbands not men in general. You know, I hear that thought of, hey, women got to submit. The men, the men rule. It's all about the men. They're supposed to be the leaders of everything. And women, you guys need to submit. It's what the Bible says. But it doesn't. It says submit to your own husbands. Beth does not need to submit to any other husbands in this place. Just saying. So, and then, uh, right, and all the dirty looks start coming. All right, so, and this word submit, We look at that word submit, and you know, I've done weddings, and in in the weddings, and when we start talking about these vows, they're like, no, we got to take that word out. We don't like the word submit or obey, Uh, and, and for some, they've translated this word respect. This idea of respect. Respect just sounds so much nicer. Wives, respect your husbands. And the idea of respect is this, a deep admiration as a result of their abilities, their qualities, or their achievements, and regard for their feelings, wishes, and rights. So it's just kind of more of this passive thing, and tonight we were talking about it here, you know, uh, with Ben, I was just telling Simone, i like, I just want a little respect Simone, because she was like, you know, I want to do things, whatever, my way, right? And So uh, we're, we're kind of chatting here, I know, I know, and so I said, you know, I told you guys going to make in the message, so um, I just want a little bit of respect, and Dakota right away says, respect's got to be earned, that's right, and so... So, we look at this idea of respect and we think it is. It's this deep admiration for their abilities. If they don't have abilities, I don't need to respect them. If they don't have qualities or achievements that I need to respect, I don't need to respect them. And it's a passive thing. There's been a book and a series written on this idea of love and respect, right? Because it says, uh, with, um, Women, respect your husbands, husbands, love your wives. And so, this idea of, well, if you, you know, women need love and men need respect but men need love and women need respect as well. It wasn't this idea that respect was a thing. You know, it's like men are singing the song like with Aretha, you know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, that's what marriage means to me and the women are like, yeah, well, you got to earn it, right? That's their their the the thought. And Paul, he's not talking about this idea of respect at all. He's talking about this idea of something way, way bigger. This idea of submit, which when you read the word submit, it means subject oneself, obey, yield to it's this, uh, trend, uh, this definition that they have. Is, it's a voluntary attitude of giving in, of cooperating, of assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. That's what that word actually means. And now, you know, some of the women are like, ugh, you know, I wish I didn't come today. This is just not, this is not good work. This is so backwards. And it creates this tension. It does. It does automatically create something in us. And some men have used this as um, wielding spiritual power over women. And it's wrong. Is nothing to do with what Paul was um, talking about. I remember somebody preaching in our church way back when. Um, actually, it wasn't at Kings, but It was a different church. Preaching about this and, and some women leaving. And they were so mad. They were in the parking lot just screaming about male chauvinism. I'm never going back to church. You know, it was this thing. And, and I thought, man, how is that possible? And yet it's this. It's because we talked a couple weeks ago about the idea of context. Context, context, context. What is it actually talking about? Did Jesus belittle women? Some of you are like, not sure. Did Jesus belittle women? No. No. Did Jesus treat them like possessions? No. No. He actually came into a time where they were treated like that and totally... treat um, treat it differently. And so Paul's writing to this group of people and he's saying, this is not what I'm, I'm not reinstating something that Jesus changed. What he's saying here is this is a specific application of command given to everyone. It's a specific application of a command that's been given to everyone. So Paul, he has been talking to the Ephesians and he said this in verse one of that chapter. He's like, imitate God in everything you do. Then he says, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He's like, imitate God Follow Christ. He's like, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do, is what he says in verse 17. So he's saying, hey, be like Christ, be like God, know what God wants you to think. And then he says, and further in verse 21, because the context of it is, of verse 22, is you've got to read verse 21. And verse 21, it says this, and further, submit. Submit, the very same word. He says, submit to who? One another. Not this idea of just submitting to a certain person. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this idea of be like Jesus, Jesus taught and modeled this radical version of love that people hadn't experienced. He'd say things like this. Love one another as I've loved you. Very good. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus' love for us, we're supposed to love others the same way? (gasps) That's huge. Then he'd say, do unto others as you would have. Them do unto you, right? He's, you know, it, why did he say things like that? Because it was this idea of sowing, sowing a seed. He knew that the actions we do, they grow. And you want to so, sow what you want to grow. So when Jesus said things like, do unto others, he didn't say, do unto others as they deserve. Respect them if they deserve it. Or do unto them as they've done unto you. Why? Because you don't want to sow that kind of seed into your future relationships. So he says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And Paul knows all this stuff. Knows all the stuff that Jesus is talking about. And so he begins to explain to these group of believers who have never met Jesus. He begins to explain to them what that looks like in a specific application. But he starts it by saying this idea of everybody submits to everybody. So the them in your life. The them in your life, it was this idea of submitting to them. That everybody submits to everybody. Then he says, he starts talking to husbands and wives and children and servants and masters. Everybody. And he says, what am I saying to everybody? Everybody have the voluntary attitude of giving in. The voluntary attitude of cooperating, of assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. And so he says there's specific applications of that one thing. So he says, so since I've put it on I've put this to everybody, is anybody excluded? No, because we're everybody. I'm in everybody, you're in everybody, so we say this is something for everybody. He says this in verse 22, for wives, this idea of submitting To everybody, this is what it looks like for you. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then he says to husbands, Husbands, because you submit to everybody, he says, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he lays it, levels it up, and says, Christ laid his life down for her. That's what it looks like to submit to to her as, as you're submitting to everybody. Then he says in uh, the next chapter, he says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. He says this idea of submitting to everybody includes your parents, not just everybody, all your friends, but your parents too. And he says this is the right thing to do, And then he says to the fathers, because dads, as you're submitting to everybody, don't forget that that includes your kids. Submitting to them, uh, and he says, don't provoke them to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from what? The Lord. Then in verse 5, he says, slaves, servants, workers, obey your masters, your bosses, um, with the deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Because he says, this idea of everybody... It doesn't change just because somebody pays you for a service. He's saying there's this idea of mutual um, submission. And then he says to the masters, bosses, it doesn't change for you. Just because you pay them doesn't mean you own them. This idea of submitting to everybody means those are the people who work for you. Submitting to them. Having a voluntary attitude of giving in for them. Cooperating with them. Assuming responsibility for them. And carrying a burden with them. Everybody submit. To everybody else. And all of a sudden that wives submit to your husbands. Just seems a whole lot nicer. Because everybody submit to everybody. It's this idea of mutual submission. And there is no more powerful dynamic of relationship possible than that. This idea of mutually submitting to one another. And what is it saying? It's saying I'm just going to use all of me. Everything that I have for your benefit. What can I do for for your benefit? Think about that in your family for a second. If everyone in your family thought that way. What can we do to make us better? In your business, if all of the people that worked for you or that you worked for thought this way, what could I do to make this better? What if church operated like that? What could I do to make us better? It's cool when we think about it and all those things, but I want to challenge you tonight to think about it in your relationships. What does it look like for the people that you're in relationship with? What does it look like for me and what does it look like for you? And we can say this idea of mutual submission, that's great, but how Do we do it? How do I do this voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden? Andy Stanley put it in such a a fantastic way, I could not do it any better. It's this thought, it's asking this question What can I do to help? What can I do to help? If you're taking notes, these are the only ones you need to write down. What can I, hun, get a pen? What can I do (laughs) to help? What can I do to help? And some of you are looking at that going, that's not going to make my life easier. That's not going to make my life easier. But, but think about this. What if everyone in your family asked that question once a day? What could I do to help? What with all of my abilities, all the talents, all of the time and energy that I have, what can I use all of that for to help you? What can I do to help make, um, to meet your greatest need? What could I do for us? Because if you think about it, and we look at them. What if all of the them in your life said, listen, I want to come a little closer to you. I want to know what I can do to help you. We'd be like, that'd be awesome. If all of you would just ask me, Mark, what could I do to help? Could you believe my life? It would be fantastic. We're thinking, man. What could I do to help? What is it doing? It's saying, you know, I'm going to move in your direction a little bit. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to put this idea of closeness with you, uh, this relationship with you. I'm going to offer what I have for a better us. And it goes against the grain inside us. Because some of you are like, ugh, I'm so busy if I ask that question. I'm not going to get my stuff done. Why is that? Because we're born that way. We're born to grow up thinking that life's all about me. It starts here and it continues on till adulthood where we think when as adults, it's not about the little toy with the circles. It's more like this, my life, and we don't say it, but we live this out practically that my life, my job, my stress, and my tasks are more important than your life, your job, your stress, and your tasks, no matter who they are. We live that out practically. So when I heard this a number of weeks ago, i was so challenged by it. I looked at it and I was like, oh man, this is like, this is me. I'm that guy. i got to start changing some of this stuff. And we have a great marriage. We have a great home life. And it's like this thing of, you know, I thought we're doing really good. But could we be closer? So I thought, I'm going to try this. I'm going to start asking this at home for a bit. And Saturdays, which are my worst day, Saturdays are my most mentally engaging day. If you call me, those will be short phone calls normally because it's like I, I'm trying to get everything um, ready. And so Beth has been just an amazing wife, amazing person, has taken the kids away from, you know, out of the home, helped keep my, keep my you know, uh, keep this quiet atmosphere around home so I can get stuff done. And, and uh, so then, you know, it was a Saturday and I thought, oh, man. Like, I've been trying to, just, you know, asking, hey, what can I do to help? And she'd give me stuff, and I would do it. But then I asked on a Saturday, and she was, like, in shock. She started telling her friends, she's like, I thought something was wrong, or maybe something was finally right with him, right? <laughs> like, this, this um, thought that, is my birthday coming up? Is there, like, a surprise? Something's going to happen, because this is just not normal. It's my new normal. But, uh, you know, there's this, this shock, this idea. Why? Because all of a sudden, she's like, I, you know, I wasn't used to this to this guy who wants to help on, on Saturdays. And do you know what I realized? That I could look at my life and say, I'm the pastor of this church. I've got important things I've got to do. My tasks, my things that i got to do. They're so much more important. My burdens are so much more important. What I failed to realize is that my wife upstairs has tasks, has stress, has life, has burdens that are just as important. And this idea, this idea says, you know what? I'm going to ask the question, because it's mutual submission. How can I carry her burden? How can I help carry the burden? It's the two chairs beginning to grow closer together. Teens, I challenge you to ask your parents this. It will probably shock them. They will probably have a heart attack and not actually come up with anything for you to do. You'll still get credit for it, you know. And then, but you won't actually have to do anything. But if you ask them, what could I do, Dad, to help? They'd be like, uh, I, I take it one step further. Ask them in front of their friends when they have friends over. Just come in, Dad, hey, I'm going to my room, but is there anything I can do to help? You will be like, they, they will be like, teach us your ways, right? You will make them so proud of you. But, th- but that other thought is that this idea of, uh, of what can I do to help? My daughter Reese, she somehow naturally has this. I don't know what it is, but she's always coming in, Dad, hey, is there anything I can do for you? And it's like, it's, it's an incredible, incredible thing but let me flip that around. Some of you kids are just like, I'm not doing that because I know what they're going to ask. That lawn needs to be mowed, right? (laughs) Like, no. What if as parents, we asked our kids this question, what can I do to help? You know, you think, man, that seems like such a strange thing to ask our children. They're there to help us, right? (laughs) It's this idea, what could I do to help? What happens is when you ask that to your teen, that keeps your conversations from always going negative. It tells your kids that, I'm there for you. I'm here for you. It tells your kids that I realize you have burdens in your life as well. What can I do to help? What if we asked that one time a day? What if your coworkers asked you that question? You know, you're both paid to do a job. You're both working to do stuff. You know, you're just working for whatever you're supposed to do. What if they came and asked you, hey, what can I do to help? What if your boss asked you that question? What if your leader would come and say, hey, what can I do to help? Last week we looked at Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, just answering the question. Asking it and answering it all in one. Saying, what can I do to help? I can wash feet. This idea of yielding to one another. That I don't have to have my way all the time. Why? Because I'm submitting to one another. I have the voluntary attitude. Voluntary means I'm choosing to do it. To give in. To cooperate. To assume responsibility. And to help carry a burden. And there's a barrier to this though. In us, not only is it pride, but it's fear. Fear. There's this barrier that, you know, you're afraid that if you ask this question, someone's going to actually take advantage of you. You know, you're gonna ask and they're gonna they're gonna ask you to do something that you just don't wanna do. Like you're gonna your husband, you know, you're gonna ask your wife, is there anything I can do to help? And she's just gonna walk to the closet and open it up and be like this IKEA thing, you know, put it together. And you know, like, you know, all the parts are missing, and you're just like, ah, I don't I don't wanna do that. You know, or as a wife, you're like, I just don't wanna ask my husband, I don't know what he's gonna say. You know, or as kids, you're like, I can't ask my parents, I know what they're gonna say. Pull weeds in the garden, or like I just I just don't wanna, you know, or employee or whatever it could be but it says this Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 tells us that you're fearing the wrong thing because it said this Ephesians 5:21 it says further submit everybody submit everybody yield everybody help carry one another's burdens everybody submit to one another for this reason out of reverence for Christ. And I like that they put reverence because it sounds so much nicer, but it says out of fear of the Lord, out of an absolute terror of of him. We're like, man, we don't usually think about this fear of the Lord, but it's this idea he said, he said this thought of as followers of Jesus, he says, imitate him. He's the one who did it for us. Not, why are we doing it? Not for people that because they deserve it, but because of what he did for us. Probably didn't go quite down like this in heaven. But, you know, as God and Jesus are sitting there and we're lost in sin on this planet. And Jesus is like, hey, dad, what can I do to help? He's like, you don't want to know. You know, you're going to have to. He's like, no, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. He's like, well, it means you're going to have to leave heaven. You're going to have to leave all this, this amazingness. And you're going to have to go down." come under their burden. You're going to have to close the gap and help carry their burden because they can't carry it. It's a burden called sin. You've never experienced it. And it's horrible. It will cost you everything, including your life. And they might take advantage of you, Jesus. And worse, they might not take advantage of what you paid for. They might allow your blood to be spilled and never receive the forgiveness for it. But they said, you know what? We're going to do it. I'm going to move in their direction. Why? For future relationships sake. 2,000 years ago, he did that for us. He moved in our direction. He was the them that moved towards the me and said, I'm going to do it for them. And for some, tonight my question, that's my question. What future relationships with them, the them in your life, could benefit from you deciding to move in their direction? To say, you know what? I'm going to submit to the them in my life because I want to better us. I want to better us. And for some, you're like, ah, how does that work? Like, is there, is, does this mean nobody makes any decisions anymore? It's like four cars at the four-way stop and nobody goes because you go. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. I'm mutually submitting to you. No, you go. You know, sitting at home and everybody's eating. You're like, you eat the chicken first. No, you serve first. No, you start. No, you start. And all the chicken gets cold and mom's mad and everybody's like, wouldn't No, you know, and no, nothing ever happens. You know, Dad, you know what? Well, I'm supposed to be head of the home. What am I supposed to do? Kids, you decide what we're going to do. All right, Dad, we're buying new Xboxes, and you know what? You're going to sleep in the basement, and I get your room with a big TV, right? And like, what, how does this work? And there's this fear, but you know what? None of, those two, none of those things have anything to do with each other. The idea of authority and submission doesn't have anything to do with each other. As a husband, you're still head of your home because he said you are. But what he's also saying in this is saying, use your authority. Use that position that you've been placed in Use that to move towards your wife and not use it as power over her. You're still dad. You're still the one who's got to make the final call on things. But move towards your kids with the authority that you have. Don't use that power against them. You're still the mom. You still get to make parent decisions. But it's that idea of use that authority to move towards your kids. To, to, in those opportunities to say, how, how, what can I do to help? Rather than using it, just kind of keeping those kids under your thumb. You're still the boss. But he's saying, you know what? Submit. Submit, yield to those, give place to those um, employees in your life. Use your authority to empower them, not to lord it over them. And said this, have the same attitude that Jesus had. Jesus is the head of the church and he laid his life down for it. Nobody would say that because Jesus laid his life down because he submitted that he's no longer the head. So tonight, I want to leave you with this thought. It's all about this idea of moving towards one another. This idea of submission is moving towards one another. One another. So at the beginning, we asked that question Do you have a relationship in your life that could be better? You're not fighting, you're good, but you could be better. Your spouse, maybe it's your children, maybe it's at work with someone, maybe it's your team. I want to challenge you to ask this question What can I do to help? What can I do to help? It's a simple question, but it actually lives out what Jesus asked us to do. So leave you with this thought. What does it look like? What would it look like if the people in your family and in your life would ask you this question once a day? What would that look like? And you can imagine it. You can. You can imagine if your dad and your mom and and your brothers and sisters asked you this once a day. You can imagine what it would look like. And most of the time, you're not going to have anything for them. But it would just be this idea of, I know that they're for me. My second question is, what would it look like if you asked the people in your family and the people in your life this one question one time a day. What could I do to help? I challenge you this week to go and do like James said. Go find out what it looks like. Go ask the question. Go find out. And when they tell you to do, ask you to do something, smile and do it. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Submitting one to another. Why? For your future relationship's sake. Maybe you're looking too much at what's happening right now. When you could look at it this. That by doing what Jesus said, you may have the opportunity, not the guarantee. You don't get to decide what they do, but you have the opportunity to have a better future relationship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it challenges us to change, challenges us to live, challenges us to live relationships the way you did and the way you desire for us. So tonight, Holy Spirit, I pray you just keep reminding me of this question. Keep reminding me of the opportunities to grow closer with those in my life. God, I pray that as people leave this place, some are going into really difficult situations. They may look at this and think, you know, it's not going to work. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you just strengthen and encourage them. That they would just simply be a follower of you and be better for it. Father, thank you for tonight. Thanks for the chance to have a, a place to, to hang out and to grow and to learn from one another. To celebrate and be a family together. Thank you for creating this family. It's, it's the only family some people have. And I thank you for that. Uh, help us to walk out in your love, shine your light bright this week. In your name, for your glory, pray. Amen.